and winds out there blowing today. And I mean blowing, gusting up to yeah. Thirty miles per hour. Maybe twenty, hitting thirty is the highest point. But I mean it's on the right of me and we're parked out in the desert, me and the dog, me and the pretty girl in uh where I'm normally parked on the floor off thirty four and we've uh I think I'm uh, if I go up the road I usually come in on I'm four or five spots back closer to these this dude who's been here forever and uh, closer to the back, closer to the mountain. I guess if I was closer to the mountain I wouldn't be getting this wind. But it's kind of a north wind and it's blowing. But on the right of me, closer to the road, where it's more open, because I'm closer to a wash. The wash is at my back. And then there's a behind the wash, too. But, you know, it's just a small wash. But the um, the right side of me, this wind is just kicking up, not all over, but the dust is carrying dust to the highway. Now, see, if you was on the highway, you'll be seeing that sand. Uh, that sand be just cutting across there. I mean, it's relentless. <laughs> so uh, that's the weather today, and I'm kind of forced to stay inside. And I have been thinking of something. <sighs> you know, I've actually been thinking about parents, and, you know, <laughs> because they're such a big part of me. Um, God. I was raised in New Orleans. Um, I was raised in the church, Catholic church. And I was raised in a project. I was raised during the time in the 50s. I guess you say raised mean when you really came into, uh, when you first came into your own, which would be 11 or 12 years old. Uh, you're still being raised, but you're more uh, thinking independently. Uh, you're having more of a conscious thought yourself. You know right from wrong. You know you're you know the difference between good, bad, right, and wrong. Whether it's been taught to you or not, you can look at it and ah, that something's not right because that moral, I guess, that uh, moral key kick in that penal gland. But uh, the uh, thing is. You know, I was raised in a time from the 50s to the time I got out of high school, let's say, uh, in the projects. And from the 50s, they were still, I mean, the country, the world itself was advancing technologically. Uh, and, you know, because it was, space age was evolving. They come out of the wars, out of the Korean strike with better weapons. Russia had their weapons. They was in a competition with weapons, nuclear weapons range. Uh, and this was after the Hiroshima shit. But 
the country was advancing, but you know, even anywhere across the country on any given day, you could still uh, hear of uh, an Asian, uh, a Mexican, or a black being lynched somewhere. So, I mean, that's the time I was raised in, uh, and in the project. And the project, I guess, was a haven simply because it was entirely around black folk. Uh, it, that was my world. I, I had a, a black world from my conception or from my even first thought. You know, I mean, that was it. And it was a world of, uh, first it was a world of my first memories of my daddy down dancing down the street doing Mardi Gras when he was uh, masking as an Indian. And that was his last year. I guess I had to be about two years old sitting on the porch. On my on the porch up on Coney and Gallison watching my dad. And I grew to love this man. You know, we became best friends. Actually. Now you know, because you're a big part of your environment and uh, the people who raise you, you know, uh, you know, you just got to separate the things sometime and uh, be truthful with yourself. And the thing about that is, do you admit some of the things that really you know now and uh, you probably kind of didn't know to an extent, but then, you know, it hit you hard one day because uh, some knowledge of things just slap in your face. So I'm getting off. I'm getting way ahead of myself. But my parents, uh, I, I, I love them dearly. I do. Uh, but because of, uh, you know, the environment they were raised in, I think my dad was raised in more of a real environment for the time. And my mom was raised in more of one of these illusional, delusional uh, environments uh, and worlds because the world was more or less based on the color scheme in Louisiana at the time between blacks. And economics at the time, because her father was a, a, a brick mason or concrete worker. You know, he made money. or well, was in the labor class for blacks during that time, which was something. But he uh, was also possible. <laughs> and his family kind of like the Bijous, you know, he derived from them and a part of something else. Uh, what is Paris? Paris Green. Uh, so, on my mother's side, now if you know anything about New Orleans, uh, in the history of New Orleans, so fuck, it was maybe one fucking white man for every <laughs> 10 to 15 blacks there. And they ruled. Uh, and simply because that color scheme, that black color scheme that was going on in New Orleans, and they did have a long history, you know, the different uh, name, 
I mean, we just call them fucking bossy blonde. And it was, you know, I mean, in the 1800s, 1700s, you know, it was, it was, it was fucking status. I mean, it was just like, you know, the whites had their class and the blacks had their class. I mean, not the black, the free uh, people of color who were usually just the masters of or the whites. Cockamines <laughs> that they uh, gave, who had some of their children, and these children was high, yellow, and different things, and they usually sent them off if they had means, usually, which they did because they would they, they set these women up in different uh, places in a high, yellow, or whatever, the more they thought they was uh, not sinning, I guess. Because it was still, all that was had a religious. Uh, influx in it because it wasn't so to say wrong morally and it didn't speak out against it a whole lot and it was accepted that these people were um these men women and that was his children and he newly sent them off to europe to uh, get educated and then they came back and that became the so-called upper class of the black race who uh <laughs> actually kept that shit among themselves and marry among themselves you know if they didn't, you know, slip uh, beneath that color line and, you know, turn white, play the skin game. But the, um, that they send it down through uh, uh, our history in New Orleans. And, and, and actually the, uh, I remember going to school, you know, I mean, high school and stuff. There was a prom paper bag test, you know, and it came to light, you know, early. But we knew about that early, you know. Uh, we knew certain places were accepted, like St. Saint Augusta, you know, the school. Uh, they wouldn't accept you, and it was a black school <laughs> by the church. But that was more or less a school for those. And, I mean, you had to be, I mean. Till I remember the 70s, they started letting fucking blacks in there that couldn't pass the bag, paper bag test. And that's only because, you know, they was being accused for such a long time and they started letting uh, <laughs> black people. <laughs> Crazy to say something like that about black culture. But that's, you know, that's the mentality that blacks had among themselves. Uh, so it was self defeating in a way. But it was thriving nonetheless. And uh, usually they're the one who control the business, uh, the, the so-called business business, the stores, the, uh, had the knowledge. So they ran the stores, had the mechanics guys, they had the, uh, if they were black business, catered around black. And they did <laughs> cater to us because usually even, you know, high yellow, you know, you, you just didn't, white folks wasn't hiring them. You know, they, they had to make their money around black. So with that knowledge and with that step up and those means of that knowledge that they had in the little property and different things, they were able to actually educate their children and their children would actually use that education for different things, even if it was on, on the labor side. Uh, so 
they usually ran things, technical things like a fixed TV. Yeah, they learned that and did that or on in the black neighborhood when we had TVs and stuff. But uh, that's the world my mother was raised in, and uh, her being the last child was, I think, additionally uh, not helpful for her, but you know because this was the way she. Um, this and I think you know the way she tells stories sometimes about her and her sister. And she actually wasn't a younger child, sister Melba was the younger child, it was her, then Melba. And she uh would tell stories how they would run around and have fun doing this. It is like she almost led Melba astray, but was in a way it was a, almost like a fun way, it wasn't. Nothing bad or anything. It's like okay, well, they take a bike and go far, ride far, far. It's like they had such a ball, and it's like this picture of things that the white kids did, and they would just rent a bike and ride it, and like, yeah. But I didn't know that when I was coming up in a project because that had been broken down. <laughs> a nigga was a nigga was a nigga was a nigga. So uh, still. You know, blacks among themselves played that little mental color game. And, you know, a lot of a lot of people thought, you know, blacks who were light-skinned were somewhat superior to blacks who were dark-skinned. Look at the Morios, how the Morios capitalized on that. Um, and it was, wasn't was just them. There was many groups. Look about Tholomew, you know, the mayor. All our mayors, fuck, I don't know if there was a, a other than a white one or a yellow one. That one that wasn't yellow, uh, other than Theo Nagan. <laughs> and, but, you know, he, uh, that's the world my mother was raised in, and that's kind of the mentality she told us about the fun times. Like it was, it, you would not believe there was any discrimination or anything going on when my mother was uh, a child. But she lived in this world, this enclosed world, like it was a project, but it was an expanded project and it wasn't bad. They had their services and did their thing and people didn't bother them really. Uh, really, I don't know if they owned their home or rented. Most of them did own their home uh, in certain areas. They did a lot of renting. They, they just like now, you know, had more than one property, rented next door. They, they That double, that uh, gunshot. That shotgun, how about that gunshot? <laughs> but that's the world my mother was in. And I mean, you know, by the time I was a child, that shit had been broken down. And it was more or less the light skin looking to be accepted by the blacks because they felt, I mean, the blacks were just saying, fuck you. And the dark, dark was saying, fuck you. And we don't need you now. And they was more or less going, trying to, Captain, plus the black thing was exotic among even the black, the white black, <laughs> or the yellow black. But that was uh, the world my parents met and married into. Uh, now, that was my dad's second marriage. Uh, again, my dad, as my mother was in, in, immersed in uh, New Orleans habits and culture, I guess you could even call them demons because, you know, his 
but not for most of those passe blancs. The evils perpetrated on uh, groups of the darker blacks or unfortunate poor in that city uh, lasted a long time. And, you know, it's, it's still going today because that control is something they never let up on. It's almost like they, they, they want you to know, hey, poor can't even control itself. Look, but we'll take care of it, y'all. And, I mean, that's pretty much in every city now. Every city pretty much gauged itself, uh, the patterns after New Orleans politics or whatever. Because I think New Orleans had, you know, uh, I don't know which place had a mayor first. Uh, but New Orleans politics was full of blacks for a long time. But it was the high yellow black. Uh when they did allow them and it was in high positions in the government or as far as uh, workers. They didn't usually get to the big job, but they was up there and they made a little profit. They made money. But after a while, you know, it was like, you know, a nigga was a nigga. And, you know, so uh, plus it was, uh, you know, their daughters became exotic to the blacks because, uh, you know, the jazz and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Just like uh, you know, the white folks he drew and drew the, the yellow blacks and tried to class, you know, they pattern themselves after uh, whites listening to classical music, having the opera, having the balls and shit. They really did this shit. And I mean, it was a fucking ball season in New Orleans. And, you know, the black, I say, ball, had the balls too as well. And everything was patterned after. The uh, the whites and the whites, you know, they fucking did took every opportunity to celebrate and show their superiority. So the possum laws, the high yellows, the octoroons, the match mistress of the uh, masters did the same thing. Now, by the time I was born, fifty six, again the world was fucking advanced and technically um, in space. It hadn't been to space yet, but you know, they were shooting rockets up there. They was, uh, I think Sputnik, I don't know when Sputnik, Sputnik maybe right before me, or Sputnik was early. But you know, and I had picked up on this by, you know, going to the library school and seeing the books and like, wow, I was fascinated with it. Uh, but still, I mean, as a child, I thought, mm, you know, you as a child, you're ignorant. You don't know. You're thinking everything's uh, fine and good. You see yourself as an astronaut. Um, and, and, and that's until TV come along now. And TV's a good fucking image destroyer. So, uh, and we were lucky not to have a TV for a long fucking time. But, uh, we we read. Now, now I saw myself as everything I saw in those books, read about. Uh, we used to get these magazines uh, for kids. That would uh, 
I think, come in the mail or they would order through school. And that was the, the very only luxury because my mother, you know, believed in reading. She believed in education. And, you know, uh, my daughter, my dad believed in it too, but my mom was, you know, made, she was in charge of making sure that everybody go to school, everybody get educated. Uh, just like, you know, you feed them. You know, my dad would go out there and make the money work. No matter how many jobs you got to support all these children, he keep having. <laughs> and uh, try to live at the same time. But, so, but I saw myself, and I mean, because I was influenced by my dad taking care of us, despite the fact that, you know, I was in a project, I was ignorant, didn't know the difference between the project and Dick and Jane shit that we saw on TV. That just happened to be where they lived, you know? Um, <laughs> so, you know, and I mean, you know, one day we may live there, but right now we live right here in this apartment in these projects. This is home. And I used to think even Dick and Jane at the time when I was in God Elementary, remember reading this, so having heard uh, about them and having a home and all the homes in the area looked alike and they had this thought of how they're going to tell their home apart and they put a, a, a wind, windmill or wind uh, gauge on top, uh, chicken or some type, you know. But anyway, it was a wind gauge. I can't even remember what it was. It might have been a cross. <laughs> Uh, on top, and that it um, was a way they could tell their house from distance. Now, you know, me as a kid thinking, you know, Dick and Jane, wow, that's pretty good thought. I didn't think of them being white. I thought, oh, me living in the project. But I'm thinking that, hey, all of these apartments do look different, the same. They got the same color brick and this and that, but it made different, set different situations. Didn't run in a row. Like a typical, like, I, again, you know, was a maze. Uh, I didn't understand mazes at the time, but it was more a maze than uh, a block street, you know, block community. <laughs> and thought of having, uh, uh, when, when, um, uh, uh, when gauges, I guess, on top of the uh, projects. <laughs> so, but, you know, so what I'm saying is I didn't see color then. Uh, children, I mean, unless somebody drove it into Now, my parents didn't drive it into us. Even when went to church, my dad just didn't go to fucking church. He didn't bother me. Don't, I don't know if he believed in God or not, but I know he didn't go to church. But my mother being raised Christian in that uh, city, she did go to church, and she... Uh, made sure all the children went to church. So we, uh, from the time we were born, we were in church. Uh, church was one thing, you know, even looking at all of this. I, nah, I kind of felt sorry for Jesus as a kid. And I knew that was God's son, but I you know, kind of felt sorry. And I really couldn't understand why would he give his son up. I was hoping my dad would do that. Give his son up for people. You know, you hear about the, uh, now, uh, uh, 
Cain and Abel story, how one of these, uh, what was that killed his son? Can't even think of the name of that right now. Uh, was making a sacrifice for him. Oh, God stepped in. I'm like, oh, shit, this is some dirty shit. And, you know, the thing is, why would, I just could not understand, why would a father do that to his son? And, you know, they went on about all of that. But, you know, I never saw color in that. As a matter of fact, uh, the only time I saw color with anything was, if I related to anything, was the fact that I saw it in a book or a picture or something and say, okay, that, that's Jesus. And, you know, I saw Jesus white early. Uh, but the other characters, I don't know. I didn't see a color uh, unless I saw them. Moses, yeah, you know, he was white. All these other characters turned out to be white eventually. And it was like, wow. But that was when I was uh, a little older. Uh, maybe in high school, started seeing this, these different things. And that was even before, that was after I started questioning on. This is what I saw, and I mean, to me, and to many, many, many is kids like me inside that project, this was normal. Though we don't look at it as bad as it got, it was as bad as it got. It was already bad. Didn't start out bad. No, it didn't really, because our you know, the there was actually more men in the project. More dead. Oh, fuck. And, you know, once the uh, 60s, 70s came around and they needed some slaves, the first place they went uh, to the projects and started collecting men for different things, charges, even if they had to make them up. And they went to jail. Yeah, it's, but, you know, we, uh, yeah, some of them did things, I mean, but then again, you can't say that because you never fucking know. Uh, just because somebody went to jail, uh, even if they went to prison, don't mean in our world that they really done it, unless you had a witness in the community that saw them. I mean, because usually if they go set the prisoners for a crime that happened downtown or somewhere in town where, you know, you just didn't know about it. Black community wasn't privy, but if it was something that happened inside the community, you know, you knew if you had a witness and, you know, you know why they was the prison, you knew it was just and what came about that came about it. But the world, that was normal, uh, a lot of crazy things you look at, so-called morally wrong and different things, was normal. I mean, drinking. We had a lot of drinking, had a lot of parties. Uh, not inside my home, but Daddy drank his ass off. Daddy was dry drunk, come home fucking drunk as shit sometimes. Um, but again, not all the time. Daddy didn't do that all the time, but more than not, he came home like that. Fuck. When you didn't even know, you hear him after you've been there a while. Uh, now, my mom didn't drink. She drank a little beer, Smith. And I don't know if she started out drinking it, but 
she didn't go out or anything. Uh, pretty much stayed home with the kids. I remember her going out once and had a wig snap. Went to a club across the track, Club club Design. She was going with one of her friends, Miss Elaine, maybe. And Mama had a wig snap. <laughs> That's when they were snatching wigs, and I was a child. So, you know, things were bad. People used to snatch wigs and sell them. <laughs> you know, that heroin was going on, and, you know, and that was one thing, you know, when we knew when, I mean, look, when Mama left, you know, she didn't do that often. And she didn't go or leave us often. But as we grew older, she did, uh, especially leaving ever in charge, which was fucking crazy because this boy had mental issues. <laughs> Just like the rest of us developed. But my... Uh, My dad, you know, he worked out. You know, it wasn't a thing where I saw him dress up. My dad worked on a river, and he worked at the Cool Cozy up around the corner from, uh, of, of, uh, Conai. The block, Conai Right there on Miro. And, uh, he, uh, worked there. It was a nice neighborhood club in a black neighborhood, and he was a nighttime man. I loved that place. When we were kids, he used to bring us in that fucking bar. Uh, we'd end up town, we'd go up town by our sister, because her sister stayed around the corner. And I think that's where he met her. And uh, so he, he did part-time bartending, full-time on the weekend sometimes. And he would be there, and we would go up by, his, uh, uh, by my mom's sister, Aunt Janetta, and hang out there with her, and Uncle Bernal, Aunt Sylvia, uh, what was his name? Uncle James. And uh, the kids, uh, what was their fucking kid's name? Michael, Leslie, I want to say Janetta <laughs> Jr., but that wasn't her name. One ball from, fuck if I can think of her name right now, I'm probably think of it later. But we'll go hang up there. And uh, kids be out playing, go in the backyards. And, you know, I we got to leave the project and got to see uh, it was a shotgun home, and, you know, that was one of the homes back in the days. Like, you got to remember, I was born in 56, or so 60, 61, 62. They just started putting bathrooms inside, but it was in the back of the house, way in the very back of the house. So, uh, and then you could, they had the alleys where that was fucking maybe <laughs> three, four feet wide. And you would walk down those cobblestone alleys, the street with cobblestone. The damn sidewalks, I don't think, were concrete at the time. And, you know, they had porches. They had their own individual porches. If it was a shotgun, they had two porches. And the porch was kind of made with these designs. It wasn't like straight up and down porches. And it had nice railings, wrought iron railings. So it was a nice neighborhood. Uh, it was one of the typical plots on lawn neighborhoods. Even the project that they built up there. In, uh, and I'm not sure... Blacks always owned up that way, but I remember, you know, my aunt them saying that from the time I was a kid, child. Uh, but he worked at the Cozy, and he was a hard worker. Now, you know, my mother took care of the cooking and stuff, and, you know, thing is, my mom was a disciplinary. 
you know, you're going to listen to my mom no matter what. She sent you to church. She tried to raise us in the church so that we, we would be obedient Christian children. Uh, now, my brothers and them, they became altar boys, all of them, I believe. I'm the only one who did. I just, by that time, I was questioning God. By the time I was 13 years old, I was questioning God. And, you know, I, I had my reason. <laughs> because, uh, you know, I couldn't get a drum. That's the only thing. I, I knew we were poor. Then I stopped. I, I really found out then. Uh, just how poor we was, and uh, that maybe was when I was 12 years old, and I think by the time I was 13 years old, I had a little part-time job. Um, my dad did what he can, could, but, you know, black man wages there was what? Still not worth nothing unless you had something that you can make money as something off of black, you know, as the possible bonus was, if they was lucky enough to get that, because not all of them was able. So, but my dad worked his ass off, and mostly he was at the cozy. So if he mostly got drunk up there at work or after work, or even if he wasn't at work, he'd sit around and get drunk after he'd come off the river, play his horses, make his money, make his bets or whatever, you know. And he was that type of person. He was a man, a black man, who uh, drank, smoked, played the fucking horses, uh, cheated. <laughs> There, there was rumors, even evidence, that he had another child while we lived in the project. And, and you know, but in New Orleans, in the project, things like that was kind of accepted and kept quiet. Um, now, why did my mom stay with him? Fuck. Shit. She had, uh, by that time, uh, she had seven, eight children for her. She could have went and struck out on her own with the church and stuff, but, you know, <laughs> she was black, still black. All, all she had was in the project. All she had these children, and she really couldn't do it without my daddy. So, thing is, yeah, I guess that's one reason to stay. But then again, my dad, fuck. You know, despite those sins and demons my dad dealt with, he uh, he was a good, good man, good father. And he loved his children. He, he did. He, he, he loved children. He loved what came from his children. Uh, now... You know, I didn't know much about my dad's upbringing other than that as a child, he was uh, he was raised in Jenneret, mm, Louisiana. Oh, fucking racist place where they hang niggas. So he uh, was raised there. And by the time, you know, my dad was one of them kids I guess went swimming, did what he want, but by the time he became close to a teenager, uh, they decided to send him away because he was in, uh, got into a little bit of trouble. I'm not even sure what age it was, and it don't matter for black kids, but he got into a little trouble, 
and um, they sent him to Galveston, where they raised him until he was like 17, and he came to New Orleans, started working on the river and stuff, went into the military, I think, from Galveston. But they did it at 17, and once he uh, went into the military, he got out and uh, came went to New Orleans, where he became uh, a black laborer in New Orleans, working. Met my mom, doing his life, you know, and uh, he uh, raised his family. And, you know, like I say, my dad, uh, despite everything he, they say bad he done, uh, and, and my mom's family didn't like him. Uh, and he knew that, and but he didn't give a damn, you know. He did, and he took care of what was his, his kids, and uh, he didn't worry about anybody letting let anybody run his house or come to his house, talk shit about him. Uh, he was what he was, and you know, he didn't ask nobody for nothing. And that was always one of the things he strided that you never depend on anybody for anything nobody could tell you what to do there nobody control your life if nobody could tell you what to do I mean if you don't know owe anybody for anything you be your own man you don't ask for any, anything from people because excuse me people uh, generally want something back from them. I mean there are good people some people will help you but most people won't uh you say why even test it if you don't need it said, everything you need you should be able to get yourself and don't never depend on anybody for anything um, so he he gave me so much advice like family he say uh look family is nothing but that other people other people will screw over your ass family will screw over now did my dad have friends? Yes, he had plenty of friends. <laughs> he had plenty of friends. He worked in the bar business. But my dad knew the difference between friends and family. And he knew the difference between family, good family, and fucked up family. Uh, family is <laughs> no more than people. That's all they are. That's what he says, family people. And family will fuck over you. But family will fuck over you faster if they're the type of person that fucks over you. He say they'll fuck over you fast because they know you. <laughs> and, and, you know, the thing about that is so very true. Uh, so remember that. Remember family, family. Uh, don't tell nobody all your business. People don't need to know your business, no matter what it is. Um, don't ask nobody. Don't, don't. <laughs> so, I mean, he was in a... Tell you, he didn't just say shit to be saying it. My dad had uh, a sister, Ain't Ida, and Ain't Ada. They were twins. Opposite is dad's night. Opposite is my mom and my dad was. My mom and my mom was yellow. My dad was black as night. Now, where you at, pretty? Now, Ain't Ida was fat. I mean, Ain't Ida was skinny and black, and Ain't Ada was fat and red. But he had those two sisters. He had a brother, Jimmy. Now, Jimmy did something. Uh, 
Jimmy was one of the bad boys. He robbed places and shit. Jimmy went and robbed the bank. Use uh, Ida's car to rob a bank, and you know, police was around Ida house threatening to shoot him. You know, back there, them days, you know, them motherfuckers breaking your house, and they went in there like a goddamn uh, uh, Nazi brigade <laughs> and uh, destroyed a home, man. A little bit of money he got out of a bank. And he used a car and shit, didn't tell him what he was going to do, just using a car for some shit. And, but my dad stopped talking to him, you know. He went to prison and shit, and my dad stopped talking to him. But that was, that was his brother. And I could, I could see you know, he fucked over your sister and da-da-da. So, yeah, you don't want to deal with him because he's a robber and he might steal from your ass. So, but the thing was, I think he was hard on everybody. And he showed us, you know, because we were, where we lived in the project, you know, you were tempted to fall and shit. And my brother, Everett, he did. He uh, wasn't, you know, doing what he was in school, supposed to do in school. Uh, Ended up have, having to go to summer school, and I think he was just in uh, on the junior side or whatever, wherever the, or maybe a first beginning of the years on the senior side. Uh, had to go to summer school, and instead of catching the bus there, him and his boys walking up there over the bridge, and they dropped a fucking bottle on a man here. He had to take blame. For, he took blame for it. They say he done it. He said he done it. And he ended up going to youth study center. Fuck, he ended up in there for six months or so. And it just showed me then how my daddy would not, uh, he took that love away. Now, before you tell you about that love, he taking love away. I got to tell you how he gave love. My dad was a cook. He cooked anything. He fucking could cook a rabbit. I learned how to cook all that shit. Cop wing or, or, or turtle. I mean, if if it crawled, moved, and it was edible, he cooked it. And I mean, he was from the country, so he knew how to cook it. And uh, most people asked him to cook for them, uh, even people from the country, because he was just an excellent cook. He cooked it when he was in the service, you know, on that boat. And But he was raised, you know, in the country cooking. Now, when we were kids, he would, uh, despite the time he's been away from home, you know, working, he came home and he would cook when we were kids. Uh, say he was out working all Saturday. He usually was home Sunday. Um, we go to church on Sunday, and this was maybe when we were old enough to go to church by ourselves. Mama started staying home, so I'm sure they was getting him a little nookie there, too. And he'd, we'd come home and he'd be cooking. <clears throat> and, but the thing is, you could sit there and watch him cook and talk to him and he cooked slow and took his time. And once you start staying there with him a while, he would start telling you about cooking, actually teaching you how to cook. And the next thing you know, as we were kids, you know, he started having us cut up the onions and different things. He's showing us the right way to cook. Because to tell you the truth, my mother could not cook. Um, she'd rather boil rice <laughs> than cook rice. My dad said that's the wrong way to cook rice. You don't cook. You don't boil no rice. 
my dad. So he uh, actually was teaching us how to cook. Uh, people would come and ask him to cook. They would bring rabbit. Say they would say, bring a rabbit. And now, you know, this is when he settled down a bit. I was maybe in, uh, I guess, just starting in junior high school. And he settled down a bit. Uh, and we would see him all the time on the weekends. Uh, or rather on Sunday, uh, a lot of time at night, too, because he gave up the ball so much at night because he had a pretty good, not so much good, but he had a decent truck driving job. Plus, he was getting to be a little older, and he <laughs> just stopped running. Um, he So he cooked, and he loved cooking for us kids. Now, uh, he would take, and as I said, from early, I would sit there and talk to him. But he would show us how to cut the seasoning, uh, show us how to cook the rice, measure the rice with your finger. wasn't no boiled rice. It was, you know, cooking rice in a pot. Now, his philosophy on cooking was you can't cook at a distance. So that means you got to be attentive of your cooking. You get your seasonings that you're going to cut up, your celery, onion, garlic, bell pepper, whatever you're using, you get all that cut up before you even start turn the pot on. Um, and when you cook and you be attentive to it, don't rush it because, you know, rush cook usually is a burnt pot. So he was, he was actually very good at teaching us how to cook, and plus he was a good cook, and he cooked New Orleans-style food. I mean, I don't want to say New Orleans style, Louisiana style food. It was just Southern style. It was just, and a lot of people, well, you know, kawing and rabbit. Yeah, it is pretty much Southern. Or, I mean, well, it's not Southern. It's the style that you cooked it. So he had this style of cooking, uh, and he, he, it was mostly a lot Creole because he spiced it up, and he spiced it up because, you know, the muscling by the time he got it. Months had to ran through some of the things because most of the people wouldn't. If they caught it out in the country, they would run through it already. You need to come in? But he, what, that was his style. More um, Cajun and Creole and Southern because uh, he could cook any damn thing. He could cook a damn roast. Put that sucker in the oven and roast because he bought on roast before. Uh, he was a hustler too, you know. He didn't let anything go to waste. I mean, not go to waste, but I'm sure he didn't pass up anything. Uh, did he bring on roadkill? I'm sure he did. Fresh roadkill? Shit, yeah. There's been many, many uh, coons and rabbits and different things that have been in our freezer <laughs> that he didn't bought on. A lot of it's been in newspaper. People get them, and you can see they've been shot and stuff. But yeah, we have coons, neutral rats in our freezer, old project freezer, and um, it uh, would stay there till he was on the weekend. Uh, once it, you know, he was off. He'd have one of us start. Uh, no, actually, he would uh, take that skin off it first, uh, and then he uh, would cut it up. And put it in something to soak or whatever, and they'll have one of us cut seasoning. If he's not gonna cut it himself, depends on how fast he wanna get at cooking it. Uh, 
out of that water that it is soaked it in the pen. And uh but he would uh do his thing in the kitchen and he, he, he if you we all knew how to cook. Like I said, Mama didn't know how to cook very good. Uh, she mostly cooked Creole style, put everything in red gravy with rice, maybe noodles, but, you know, uh, some vegetables with it. And it wasn't nothing really fantastic. Uh, we ate what we had. Uh, my daddy provided a lot of that. By bringing, you know, being a driver or working on a river, he was actually able to get a lot of different things and bring home to us. Fucking, fuck, I've seen more uh, stalks and uh, uh, bananas, hundreds of bananas together, you know, because that's how they used to come off the ship. And I've seen cans of oil, everything, molasses, hit what, I mean, it all, if it came through the river and my dad was able to get his hand on it and bring it home, he did it. Uh, what did he steal it? Yeah, no, that's a manner of speaking. The law would say he stole it, but, you know, who stole it first? <laughs> they stole it from where the fuck they got it from. So, uh, especially that molasses on the cane field, it was usually something that was going out of the country as opposed to, uh, being, uh, something that was, because they had big old towers they would pump that shit out of into ships. Fucking molasses from the cane field. But that was one of the things, you know. He, some of them, you know, would go out on individual tins, cans, and stuff, and he would uh, grab them. And I mean, mostly, uh, if daddy was home and didn't have to work because of the strike on our river or different things, uh, he would make, make us breakfast. Many times we had coffee, or even if he just didn't work, because everything wasn't always peachy. Now that for a black man, and you know he uh, would make us breakfast. You know, coffee with that uh, cream and molasses with some toast. If we just had bread, he'd make some fucking toast with some butter and some uh, cinnamon and sugar on it. You know, because that's some of the things we kept around the fucking house. Because you know, he could bring home sacks of flowers and peas and beans and shit. But that was my daddy. He was a provider. He was a cook. And he showed us, I mean, he cooked forever, too. I mean, he always cooked. And he always cooked because he enjoyed people in eating his meal. And the thing about him, it was always not enough. You know, I mean, no matter what he cooked, it was enough for us, but it was not just enough to be like, damn. But that was the magic in it. And he didn't do that intentionally because what he had, he wasn't enough. But he stretched it long enough. And there were times uh, it wasn't just his cooking. Um, he would come home after, you know, being on a river and stuff. Maybe working and in, at, been at the bar and made his money, uh, got some extra money from some horses he didn't want on, and he would come on with a fucking bag. Now, you got to remember, there was 11 of us. And I mean, one thing, we he used to come home in his truck then because he started driving them trucks early. 
old beat up tractor trailer truck driving down the driveway. We'll know him. Mom, mom, here come daddy. We know from down the driveway. We standing on the porch looking out the window, wait for him to get up there. And uh, he usually didn't blow unless he had something. So <laughs> we uh, look out there wanting to be up there anticipating him, waiting. And here come park that truck sideways in front of the dumpster. That's when they had a dumpster back there by then. And we'd uh, watch him come out there. And, you know, he'd come up them porch, give us a hug. He ain't got nothing different. Got his clothes, and we just find What he got in his hand? He ain't got nothing in his hand. That's just his jacket. That's just his bag, his lunch bag. That ain't nothing in that bag. A little bitty bag, too, you know. There ain't nothing that's in newspaper. Shoot. He ain't got nothing. He ain't got nothing. That ain't bringing us nothing today. And that was the thing. Every day, you know, we could think every day. Now, he didn't bring us home nothing every day, something every day. Uh, but when he could, I mean, it was at least once a week. At least. Sometimes twice, sometimes three. But, it, you know, that that once a week might be. This uh, Monday, and it might not happen the next Monday. It might not happen till the next fucking Thursday. So it's like uh, two weeks or a month to kid. But when it all, you start, look up there, and you're always waiting, always waiting, always waiting, always waiting. And uh, you usually bring your home something during the holidays. He would bring home uh, uh, little chicks. We had chicks. Alligator, he would bring home everything. Thing and anything. If he found it, he knew it had kids. Shit. Bring it. We had uh, what, two alligators. You know? <laughs> Bought on. We had it in the tub. Somebody killed it. Ran hot water on him. I wish I'd have thought of that shit, though. That bitch bit me. Had chicks. Had rabbits. You know, and it was always mama said, them children don't need that. I said, yeah, they do. And, you know, we, I don't know what happened to them. Usually ended. Uh, we had dogs, a couple of dogs, and I, you know, I don't even know if Daddy was that. I think that was Mama's idea, because she had the dog Scotty when she was a kid. That she swear was like this damn dog looked like that dog uh, Dick and Jane them had. But you know, Daddy would come up there and get on the top of the porch, or either come in the house. And maybe sit in the kitchen, sit on the, uh, and you wouldn't go to his truck. You wouldn't dare go to that truck. You stayed away from that truck. For one, you know, if it's running, you don't want to be by. If it's not running, you don't want to be by. You ain't got no business by it. Searching it. It could be dangerous. Buy it when it's running. And if you're there, buy it when it's not running and nobody's there to attend it, you're going to mess with it. So don't go by the damn truck. And that was a, that was a given. You never went by the truck unless he called you or told you. So, uh, usually he'd come in there if he has something and play it off and play it off. We all around him, you know, the the kids hugging him all up on him. And he playing with him, you know, he's talking and stuff. And he said, tell uh, Everett O'Hanna, one of the older kids, to uh, go to the truck and get that bag. I forgot I had a bag in there. <laughs> And he would come back with a fucking one of them brown, big brown swagman paper bags. 
It'd be half full of candy and shit, you know, enough candy to last us two weeks. And he, you would not take it. He did the distributor. You know, the thing about it was, it was like, ah, I knew you bought something. <laughs> and that was the game he played with. It. But, uh, you know, he, uh, damn, he did what he can to bring uh, happiness to us despite where we live. Now, my mother, and she was that being the more disciplinary person, uh, the more person into churches. I'm not sure if she had a strict upbringing. And I think she did. Her parents died early. Now, my dad's mom lived a long time, even though he didn't, he went around there. Uh, she died when we were young, but I'm not even sure if we met him. But yeah, I'm sure we did. But the thing is, uh, my mom's parents died really early. Uh, her dad, her mother did, and so her, she was raised by her sister, who was young. <laughs> who was young, trying to raise and start her own family. Her oldest son, Burnell, was, uh, damn near what? Eight years younger than my mom, ten years maybe, you know. He called her Rose, you know. Call her ain't Rosemary, I guess. I don't know. But the thing is, my mom, uh, wasn't. It seemed like she did what she had to do because she was supposed to do it. My dad did what he had to do because he wanted to do it. He did that extra. Where my mom didn't give us any any extra indication of anything. He didn't give her, she gave us the idea that what she did. She had to do it, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm raising you. I, it's my last word, and my dad was like, you know, he showed you shit as opposed to told you shit. And that was the difference between my parents. Uh, my dad taught you. My mom let others teach you and put you in a situation where they could teach you, influence you more than anything. And, you know, she didn't. She didn't have no problem with my dad because, I mean, you know, the, you know, as we got older, uh, me and my brother started, you know, being in the truck with him. He just started taking us out and showing us uh, the country and stuff. And, you know, I I admired him for what he did. Now, my mom, she worked. <laughs> she didn't start working until I got into, I think, uh, sixth grade when uh, I was supposed to go to Edwards but end up at Moton. And I only remember that because of that. Uh, all the rest of the family was at Edwards or Carver, and I was at Moton, and I was closer to the house, and I had a key to the house at that time. Uh, and I, I retained that key forever. <laughs> but the thing is, my, uh, uh, dad worked, and he did what he, most people say, had to do because he had the children, but he went that extra. And you knew. We used to leave Daddy a note. Uh, and he'd probably take his last little lunch money or whatever and gave it to us. Leave him a note. Uh, we need such and such for a trip. And he would, uh, love you, thank you. And leave it on a uh, dresser at night and you wake up in the morning and see if there was any money in it, in the note. <laughs> you know, and, uh, he'd, uh, he wouldn't leave it in your room. He would leave it in the, Bedroom, right there where you left it, and uh, no telling, no mama hit it first, but 
he would leave that money there for you with a with the note, love you too. And if he didn't have it, he didn't leave it, you know. Uh, the note was gone, the money wasn't there, or his mama took it, but whatever. You know, and I think, you know, knowing my mom now, she more than not took it, just so you wouldn't have so much faith in my father. Uh, because after a while, I, I know it was a competition between them. You know, uh, my dad, everyone gave him all his kids. All of us gave him our love unconditionally. Uh, I mean, we loved Mama. We did, but if you look at our upbringing, Mama was more a hindrance to us as Daddy was a person who would say, go out and do this, but this is how you have to do it. Yeah, he gave us the sun talk about being a fool out there, about following people out there, about uh, uh, letting others influence you out there, about the police out there, about, you know, carrying a gun, you know, uh, uh, the evils of drugs. But he didn't tell it to you like he was demanding something from you. He told you, like, this is what's going to happen to your ass. If you want to do this like this, this is what's going to happen. So he didn't say, don't, whereas my mother said, don't do that. And, you know, she invoked God a lot. My dad just invoked what the fucking was going on uh, in the environment. Uh, you better be careful out there. Uh, don't be hanging out with nobody who you know the police going to stop. Don't be jumping in nobody's goddamn car, you know, unless you know that's their car. So, you know, it was the same order. Be careful of the police out there. Don't do this, you know, out there. Uh, don't steal. That was just one thing. Do not do nothing. Don't go to jail. If you go to jail for something you shouldn't have done, I'm not going to get you out. But if you go to jail for something you didn't do, I got you. Just be careful, though, and don't put yourself in a situation to go to jail. Don't run from a fight. Just stand up there and fight. If they pull out a gun or something, yeah, you run your ass away. You get the fuck away if you can But if you see other people fighting, you see other people fighting, then you go down the fucking way. You back up a little bit. And you watch that shit from a distance. Peep at it. Because they usually, people who not fighting get killed. Somebody pull out a gun or something. So, you know, and that was real way back then. And that was even before I left the project. <laughs> you know, uh, mom, on the other hand, you know, well, daddy say fight. Don't stand up and fight. Uh, there was that incident with MacArthur. MacArthur, every ran from him. And I was right there with every, I didn't know what he was running from. Maybe I did, but I ran too. And running up the kitchen steps. And my dad usually, when he was home, sat in that fucking bedroom window that faced the driveway so he could keep an eye on his truck. And, yeah, it was bad back then, huh? So uh, he spied Everett running his ass up there, and by the time he see what's going on, my daddy see, you can see that big court where MacArthur was running from behind Everett. And my daddy met us right there at that damn kitchen door. Get your ass outside. I mean, 
mean, I, I don't even think I was upstairs here. That was at the bottom steps, because I don't know why they ever got a room. Maybe he got a shit or something. My daddy saw. He met him out there. He told him he better. He ever was at the top of the step, my dad came through that damn door, closed that door behind me. The outside door, we still had an outside uh, door to the hallway. And that door closed behind him. And the back porch was, uh, wasn't wide. It was maybe five feet. And the railing just ran up to the door. And my dad standing up there and uh, told uh, Everett, what the fuck you running from? And my God, the God, small, cuss my dad. My dad said, okay, hold on. My dad went in and got the oldest butcher knife we had. Gave it to everyone. Get your ass up back there on that corner. And this was out of sight where nobody could see us on the opposite side of our, uh, where we lived on the apartment. We was on uh, the abundance, well, closer to abundance. And, you know, we was just sitting there until they ever decided to run. But they said, get your ass back over there. I guess it was early morning, sitting in the sun. Uh, and he gave him a knife. Say anybody fuck with you, you better stab him. I ever catch you running again, I'm going to kick your ass. And I stood there at the bottom looking at shit. Ever started walking over there, you too? <laughs> and I was right there behind him. Now, that was my dad's philosophy. You know, with those warnings in that don't run, uh, even if you got the, and my dad had been stabbed before. So, you know, he had nothing against using a fucking knife against somebody. Oh, he had a slit on his belly that went down his nuts and he wouldn't have after uh, shit. After five or six of us was born, he wasn't supposed to have no more goddamn children. But he did. So, uh, he wasn't, uh, 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 against using a blade to save your fucking life. Because one nearly took his life. So he uh, sat us out there. Now, mom, mama on the other hand, uh, we was raised in a project, you know, kids happen. Down the driveway, uh, where maybe before you even got to halfway down the driveway, there's that gap in the big court. And they got a utility pole that they had a basketball because it was an open part of the driveway, too. It wasn't, you know, uh, so closed in as the ends of it, where it was just a little narrow drive and they're parking on one side, but this one was open when shit. You could have had parking on both sides, but they usually left that other parking open because a basketball court. They put a, <laughs> a backboard. It was, the backboard wasn't nothing but a plywood board. And the rim could have been, the rims didn't come out until the older guys came. And they fucking nail a fucking rim up there. Because they, and then they, they decided to leave the backboard up there permanently in a fixed place. Uh, they hooked it up some kind of way and just bring a rim out there they could bring and take away. Because, you know, motherfucker wants to steal a rim. Come from outside the project and steal your fucking rim. But there, the, there was that gap there. And uh, just halfway, almost to that gap, halfway down the driveway, uh, there was a fight going on. And you know our kids, uh, they would gather around to some youngsters fighting, even road people fighting. And uh, uh, Everett was fighting one day, and I was there when it started. 
and everyone was fighting good. You know, every got to say everyone was not a bullshit person. He stand up there and they fight, and he could fight. I was proud of my brother. <laughs> Whoever he was fighting against, you know, he was he was doing what he was supposed to do. So, uh, I'm not sure. My mama just snuck up even behind me, and uh, she walked through that fucking thick crowd of kids and snatched every by the fucking collar and dragged every get on. <laughs> every almost even swung on my mom, but. All the kids started teasing him. I mean, and, you know, I'm sure that shit went off unmercifully for a long time. So whatever it does, it got down on that shit. Every fought more. You guys didn't fight around hard. You fight every fucking body. Men, women, and children. <laughs> you turn it to a mean motherfucker then, you know, drinking, smoking, just uh, became a hard nigga. He really became hard, and he thought he had to be you know, he thought was under the impression that hard niggas do criminal shit, steal, hustle, and, you know, that was the person he turned into. But I think that was more because he uh, had to prove something. And, and then when he got older, he became weak because it was women he was just beating on. He wouldn't fuck with a man. He women. So, you know, the thing is, you know, I got to say it was... You know, when he, he could have been different, he didn't have to become the hustler he became. And, you know, even he thought he'd hustle me at the end here, and I hadn't fucked with Everett in now uh, almost five years, if that many years. I just had came back from Alaska, and that was, what, 2016, 17? Yeah, so damn near 10 years now. I don't screw with him. And, you know, it's a different story. But, you know, the thing is, my mom and my dad uh, in the project, you know, influenced a, a hell of a lot of me. But my dad, I got to say, he was the one. Even trying, and, you know, my mom was a controlling person. I didn't realize how controlling she was because she really didn't bother me. Uh I I was the good kid. I was the kid that didn't get in trouble. I was. It's not that I didn't do anything wrong or odd, and I didn't really do anything wrong. You know, wrong, wrong. I cussed. Uh, I might have snatched something out the refrigerator, took a slice off the watermelon. Um, I don't. I I don't remember stealing anything. We didn't fuck to steal. I didn't steal from anybody else because I wasn't around anybody else to steal from. Uh, other than when I was with my parents or brothers and sisters. So, you know, that was just, I mean, and not to say I couldn't have, but, in you know, <laughs> Everett became a thief, you know. He, he went to, uh, him and Anal was together stealing from the Villery. And, you know, that just showed me that back in that time. My daddy said, you know, he was hard on him then. He just stopped talking to him for forever. And that was in the house, and I'm like, oh, God, I could never lose that. I can't lose that love, you know. But my dad was such a good person. He used to make pickles. Uh, he would make pickles, and it was, he, we would know them pickles up there, them big old gallon jars, maybe three at a time, and just fermenting. Uh, he just showed you the ingredients, how to put them in there and wash them. Put 
damn pickles in that pantry on the top shelf in the dark. <laughs> Different sizes. So when the pickle day come, yeah, everybody, you know, he, he decided them pickles today is the day. He get one of those jars and sit it out on the table. <laughs> and he'll uh, open that jar and everybody gather around. Y'all want a pickle? And everybody gather around. And that was still when everyone was young enough to be hanging there. And every always the oldest. And he would bully us most of the fucking time behind Mama them back. And, you know, probably in front of Mama. Mama actually condoned it most of the time. He's the oldest. You better listen to your older brother. But uh, Daddy would uh, start giving out pickles. And, you know, everyone would jump in the line first. And, you know, there was this time this pickle came out, a small pickle. Every jumped out the line, you know. And that pickle fell down in the thing. We didn't know my dad did that. And my dad grabbed another pickle after the next person was up there and never didn't take it. And he gave that next person that big pickle. My dad reached in there again to get a big pickle. Ever stepped right up there. <laughs> that big pickle fell. <laughs> he was grabbing at that little pickle and never stepped back. But he got out that big pickle and gave it to the person. That went on and on and on. And finally, everybody just stayed back until everybody got their pickle. And that, everyone laughed. <laughs> My daddy took that little pickle and gave it. <laughs> and we all oh, <laughs> there looking at him, sucking on our big old pickle. <laughs> and <laughs> Everybody had the best time laughing at him. Because, I mean, my dad said, come on, big guy. Yeah. He said, if you don't take this, you will never get another pickle. And that was my dad's way of teaching lessons. <laughs> you stand in line up with another person. It feels like this. But, uh, no, he, uh, he made us laugh. And he was, uh, God, he would bring home watermelons. Big, huge watermelons, you know, doing watermelon season. Cut them in half, put them in the refrigerator, have one in the pantry, have one in the refrigerator, cut open. And uh, up there chilling. Goddamn, the hardest thing in the world was uh, uh, letting that watermelon chill before we start slicing it, slowly slicing it. But, you know, my dad was the, uh, goddamn, he was... Uh, it was the only thing I, that helped me make it actually through the projects uh, in a, in the early days because those were some tumultuous days. Uh, crime was bad. Crime was fucking horrible. And, you know, but he kept us shielded in a sense that he sure that was going. We knew what was going on, but we were learning how to handle it. Um, Mama was shielding us where, you know, we wouldn't, like, we would never learn about it and, you know, if we stick with God or have faith, you stick with the family, you know, it's going to be all right. And that was good in the early days. I mean, the family, you know, sticking with the family because the family was good. And, you know, again, it was be more than my dad that brought joy to us. So after uh, they moved out of the project and we became older and 
they became older, they are uh, we 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 more or less went around there and had a good time because of my dad. Uh, he uh, knew we smoked weed. Uh, fuck, he knew we smoked weed from a long time ago. He had never had anything against weed. It was every other drug. I swear, this man had never had anything. But I didn't know that until I had came back home from out of the military. And I'm like, I'm going to take a walk. He said, what, smoking weed? I'm like, yeah, pretty much. He said, go in the back. I'm like, what? Go in the backyard. I'm like, you don't mind? Said, I'd rather you have your head and out in the street smoking that shit, bro. You coming over here? smoking then come on back up front and that's exactly what we did so and then we started hanging over there more you know he started hanging in the back with us not smoking you know he'll sip on a beer some water something because he totally gave up drinking but it was him we all gravitated to uh and now my mom had nothing against weed either uh but she was actually against it in the early days because it was like one of them fucking devil drugs you know so uh, she was against everything that wasn't. I mean, if it if the if the church said that shit wasn't good, it wasn't no fucking good. And the church said a lot of shit wasn't good. So you know, by turn, you know, drugs was one of them. Church, she believed in all that bullshit, you know. But she done her best. I got to say, and I think more than anything, uh, she didn't know how to raise children. And I don't know if my dad knew, but I know my dad was lucky enough. We were lucky enough to be his children. Um, mama, I don't know about mama. Was I lucky? I was lucky my dad was around and when she, I was lucky my dad never thought about leaving. And, you know, I don't even know where that concept came from. Uh, there were more men in a, you know, with families than not, you know. And again, as uh, time passed, uh, things changed and they needed more slaves, you know, men started disappearing. And then men died early. Even back then, black men were dying early from different ailments and disease. They would go to the hospital and then some would just fucking disappear. I mean, that shit, man, what's going on now, been going on, you know. So, uh, it was always just scared about somebody disappearing because of the people jumped out of the trees, the white coats. So, I mean, and that's not just in New Orleans. That was a lot of fucking places. So there was sexually something behind that. Uh, so a lot of people disappeared, but there was a lot of fathers. Um, also a lot of criminals, a lot of people who uh, couldn't control their children, a lot of people who didn't want to, you know, and that's where a lot... A lot of people came from out of the project into the project. Uh, and again, uh, a lot of crime itself spawned right out of the existence of the project because of uh, the density uh, that people lived on top of each other like a fucking pack of rats. You know what I mean? It was a community. It was a total community. Carver, you know, was part of that community where we had talent shows, where we went to school, where we had after-school programs. The park was part of that community. Uh, but it was all still in one of these fucking high-crime areas. And uh, 
you know, I never really thought of how lucky I really am to actually uh, survive that shit because it's, I mean, it could have been crime, could have been fucking accidents because, I mean, I remember some kids dying because of the electrical poles in the center, the light poles uh, that we use for one, two, three red light uh, fucking shocked somebody because they had sharks in them because they got old and they didn't repair the shit, you know. Um, look, it was many ways, I mean, getting hit with that bat that, you know, caused a lot of dizziness also caused me to uh, uh, even start wondering about different things in life. Uh, slowed me down enough to even be around my dad long enough to get to know him better than I knew any, I mean, Anybody else will get to know, let him know me better than anybody else. <clears throat> it was my dad who told me he was proud of me. And that's after uh, he, uh, I had then left New Orleans, lived in Arizona for a minute, bought me a home and called myself stopping. <laughs> but he, uh, he came out there and visit, and I didn't want to let him go, and told me that, man, I'm proud of you. You've been all over the place. You do your thing and you're not making your money. You don't bother nobody. You ain't commit no crime. You're doing your shit. And I was running the, well, they wouldn't say I was running the fucking kitchen at Alice Cooper Town, but I I'm, was I'm first cook. And I was planning the meals. I was uh, not, yeah, the daily specials. You know, Lee was drunk. Leslie was out of it. But anyway, that's another story. That's for my resume. But uh, the uh, early days in a project, you know, I uh, wouldn't have survived. And even when I tried to leave early, I asked my mom to sign the papers for the military. And she said, you're not going over there, boy, no Vietnam, da 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 Whereas I should have asked my dad to sign these papers because I was a couple of months shy of 18 and it needed 18. You needed your parents' signature to go in early. And I let her dictate that. And um, I, uh, I I eventually went in a year later, but it was like a fucking waste of time, really, because I ended up working at Swam and got fired. AJ Warehouse got fired. Uh, Warehouse. Because I didn't want them to treat me like a motherfucking slave. And I wasn't going to have that shit. <laughs> Daddy didn't raise no slave. He's like, he was, he told you, I mean, look, you ain't got to be no slave to nobody. I mean, jobs are hard, yeah, but, you know, you, you can find a job. Just don't be no fool for nobody. Patsy, Patsy was the word back then. Don't be no Patsy for nobody. Like, don't be no nigga for no damn body. But nobody. And that's even a job, because if you're working for with a group of people, you'd be known as a pastor. That's your dumb ass. But mama, mama worked, and she uh, did what the ladies did in the project. You know, worked, got together in the evening sometime, watched the children outside. Uh, sit down there, shoo shoo, drink a little beer, smoke their cigarettes, had a little fire going, and talk and gossip. Uh, 
we hung outside the project with her uh, her family or in the back of the project with the Caesars, her family. Uh, and one of me, that was our aunt, her sister, her, one of her oldest sisters. Aunt Janetta was the oldest. So, and uh, Aunt Ruth, Aunt Ruth lived in St. Bernard. So we got around the city as kids because she uh, brought us to visit her family. Most of the time we were on the bus. Uh, so we got to know mama family. Now, daddy family, we got to know uh, Aunt Ida because Aunt Ida lived right down Design Street, almost at Gabba uh, uh, Design Bureau. So we visit her a lot because sometimes we ended up going to St. Mary as we got older. But we visit her a lot. Uh, daddy would visit her a lot because she was close. He would visit both his sisters. Aunt Ada lived right up there on uh, Claiborne and uh, shit. That Arlene's, uh, Claiborne and Arlene's, right there over the tuxedo shop. Used to live there for years in them uh, apartments back there. I remember when I was christened, that's who was my, uh, I think she was my in there. She, uh, I went up there to visit her. She gave me dimes. She gave me some silver dimes. That's what they did on christening day back then. 